Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl podcast. I am your host, Kristen. From a December 1952 memorandum by Assistant Director of Scientific Intelligence H. Marshall Chadwell to the Director of the CIA, a 1952 memorandum. Sightings of unexplained objects at great altitude and traveling at high speeds in the vicinity of major U.S. defense installations are of such nature that they are not attributable to natural phenomena or known types of aerial vehicles. Again, 1952. Why am I hammering on the date? Because it was 70 years ago. Seventy years ago, we were arguing whether these unexplainable objects performing feats that were not attributable to anything known at the time, in the day, whether they were something quite explainable or not. We're still doing it 70 years later. I, I feel like I am going crazy. Or... I am just surrounded by crazy because how long are we going to do this? I am sure that you have all gotten a chance to watch the most recent subcommittee hearing on UAP development and uh, progress made by Arrow. I I, am late on the draw to this conversation. That is okay. Uh, Far better podcasts than myself have hit that nail on the head really, really well. Uh, I will say, just so you know, I fall into the disappointed camp. I, my expectations were just way too high. I was so excited to be catching my first UAP hearing, like in the moment, like as it was happening. I was just so excited about it. Um, all, all I'll really say about it, uh, I'll, 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 I'll put some thoughts out there. All I will say is uh, I actually appreciate that. Uh, the the level of scientific scrutinous double checking that seems to be taking place i i totally appreciate that um i am still waiting on <laughs> kirkpatrick though for those final numbers the 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 answer to the question uh f- about resolved and unresolved cases left still he he skirted right around any real numbers on that one did y'all notice that i I've still got my note somewhere floating around here somewhere with 650 written at the top and resolved and unresolved written underneath. Like I was hunched over my computer, like pen at the ready, eyes just blinking expectantly at the screen for like 10 minutes after the question was asked before I realized, oh, he's not going to answer that. Um, But yeah, in the aftermath of it, uh, I was thinking, the thought that I had was, how cool is it? How unreal is it that our government is even having this conversation, you know, is still having this conversation? Like, (laughs) when the Air Force brushed their hands of the accumulated UFO dirt back in the 60s, you know, they were like, done and done. We're never going to have to talk about this again. Like, the subject got some staying power, right? It just won't die. It can't die. There is something to it, I think. Um, 
Oh, I hope you all enjoyed the conversations over the mid-season break. What an amazing lineup of guests, right? And that will continue. I have an incredible lineup coming up over the next month. Today, however, we are kicking off the second part of this season all about UFOs and ET. We are kicking it off with a look, a deep dive into the nuclear connection. Ooh, why do ETs seem to have this strange obsession with our Earth-destroying toys? Hmm, I do not know the answer to that, but numerous incidents since the birth of nuclear facilities and warheads highlight this obsession. So we will be diving into some of those incidents today. Uh... One more thing before we start real quick. Uh, I recently posted a pic of me on Instagram wearing my brand new kick-ass I'm Dead Tea compliments of Black Metal Brunch. Ah, I am obsessed with this shirt. It's actually, it's in the wash right now because I keep wearing it. So (laughs) I beat the hell out of my regular lounge around everyday wear, right? This shirt is going to last me. Like, it's just, it's substantial fabric. It is well made. And the design kicks ass. All of their designs kick ass. For all of my horror, true crime, witch talk, metalheads listening out there, take a peek at the rest of their catalog. I am sure you will find something in there that speaks to your soul, like the phrase, I'm dead speaks to mine. It feeds mine. So if you do find something that you think is awesome, and you will, uh, right now you can use the code PGP and get 10% off of your purchase. So shout out and thank you to Black Metal Brunch for my new threads, yo. I love it. Um, I think that is it. I think that's that's my preamble. Let's get into this. Let's deep dive and take a look at the nuclear connection. David Schuer, who was a crew member with the 455th and 91st Strategic Missile Wing at the Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota, tells of a rather interesting and terrifying interaction with the unidentifiable. He reported to UFO investigator Robert Hastings that at the time he was a first lieutenant, and on the night of the event, he was acting as deputy commander while the base commander was asleep. This event took place in 1967. And Robert Hastings, by the way, uh, focused a lot of his research exploring UFO-related incidents at nuclear weapons installations and facilities, If you are particularly interested in this side of the UFO topic, uh, you can read his book all about it. It's called UFOs and Nukes, Extraordinary Encounters at Nuclear Weapons Sites. Schuer reported that he was pulling alert in the Echo Launch Control Capsule when the Alpha Capsule, a missile location east of Echo, reported over the primary alerting system that their security personnel was observing a large, bright object hovering over some of their sites, moving from missile to missile. They were also receiving spurious indicators on their control console. Just a few minutes later, Schuer's own site, Echo, started receiving anomalous activity from some of their missiles. Over the next hour, 
all of the sites around Minot, which were in a large sea-like formation, from Alpha and Bravo all the way up to Oscar at the top, reported that their security teams were observing a UFO near their facilities. Schuer said that the path of the object could be followed as it passed over each area while they listened over the primary alerting system as each site reported in their observation of this thing as it hovered over their silos before moving on to the next. And here is Schuer's quoted relaying of what took place. When the object passed over our flight, we started receiving many spurious indications on our console. The object was apparently sending some kind of signals into each missile. Not every missile got checked out by the object, but there were several that did. Maybe six, seven, or eight. Maybe all ten got checked, but I don't think so. As this thing was passing over each missile site, we would start getting erratic indications on that particular missile. After a few seconds, everything reset back to normal. But then the next missile showed spurious indicators, so the object had apparently moved on to that one and did the same thing, then on to the next one, and so on. It was as if the object was scanning each missile one by one. The inner security and outer security alarms were triggered, but we got those all the time for one reason or another. However, on this particular night, we had to activate the inhibit switch because launch-in-progress indicators had been activated. After a few minutes, the UFO passed to the northwest of us, and all indicators reset to normal. And when Hastings asked Schuer about the launch-in-progress indicators, he replied, When that happens, we get an indication in the capsule that a launch command has been received by that missile. If that happens without proper authority, you flip what's called an inhibit switch to delay the launch for a given period of time. If an inhibit command comes in from another launch capsule, that shuts down the launch totally. But if that second command does not come in, the missile will wait for a specified period of time and then launch automatically at the end of that expired period. Schuer told Hastings neither he or his commander or any of the other men who played a part in the event were ever debriefed following the incident. He said upon his returning to base the following day, he and his commander were met by the operations officer who basically told them nothing happened, nothing to discuss, wrong number, who dis, goodbye. So nothing happened and they were to discuss this non-event no further. When asked about his personal assessment of what took place that night, Schuer told Hastings, Oh, I think something was up there, scanning the missile, seeing what was going on. And when Hastings asked whether Schuer thought it might have been deliberate or incidental, Schuer replied, I think that the scanning just set it off. It set all kinds of things off. We were getting all sorts of indicators. There were some kind of signals being sent from the object to the missile that inadvertently triggered the launch activation, but I don't think it was deliberate. I hope not. Me too. <laughs> all righty. Before we move on, let's shout out today's sponsor. Support for the Paranorm Girl podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Our friends at Manscaped now have beard products and are going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. 
Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below-the-waist grooming are traveling north of your man's South Pole. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for his hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade his game by going to manscaped.com and using the code PNG for 20% off plus free shipping. How does Manscaped help men look and feel their best? I can speak from my personal experience thus far. It makes it easier than ever for my partner to craft his signature look, to smell fantastic, to feel clean, and most importantly, confident when he is unleashed unto the world. They provide all of the things he needs to create and maintain well-groomed facial hair with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. He keeps his nose and ear hairs in check with the brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. And when the upstairs is done, we cannot forget about all of the things that take place behind the scenes. Manscaped has the tools and products needed for the full body grooming experience. It is the whole package. Speaking of package, Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0. And of course, all of the other below-the-waist grooming products that Manscaped is known for. So Lee easily, easily covers all of his bases, and he is looking incredible, and he is feeling his best in the process. So it's time it is time to do the same and upgrade, my dudes. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use code PNG at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use code PNG. Trust Manscaped for the only right tools for the job. So, Minot Air Force Base in 1967 an unidentified object seemingly sent, whether deliberately or accidentally, sent signals to activate nuclear missiles. Unnerving stuff. Would you believe it's not the only time that this has reportedly happened? Retired Soviet Army Lieutenant Colonel Vladimir Plantinev while being interviewed on ABC News in 1994, described an hours-long UFO sighting that took place October 4, 1982, near an IRBM base outside the village of Belakorovich in northern Ukraine. He said, It looked just like a flying saucer, the way they show them in the movies. No portholes, nothing. The surface was absolutely even. The disc made a beautiful turn on the edge, just like a plane. There was no sound. I had never seen anything like it before. As described by Robert Hastings in his article, he published it in 2008, and it is titled Remarkable Reports from the Missile Field. While the UFO was still in the vicinity, an unspecified number of nuclear missiles suddenly activated. As the horrified launch crew looked on helplessly, the automated launch sequence was enabled without proper authorization and then proceeded to count down for 15 terrifying seconds before aborting and returning to standby status. 
And if you are curious, these were aimed at the U.S. Yeehaw! <laughs> Another retired Army officer, Colonel Igor Chornovshev, said, During this period, for a short time, signal lights on both the control panels suddenly turned on, the lights showing that missiles were preparing for launch. This could normally only happen if an order were transmitted from Moscow, and that was not the case, as immediately following this event, officers reached out to Moscow and were advised that no such launch command had been ordered. Leading up the investigation of this event was Colonel Boris Solokov. He had been ordered to go to the Ukraine the very next day. He is quoted as saying, the reason for the urgency was a report from the base commander to the chief of the general staff. The previous day, the base observed a UFO for four hours. At the same time, on the control panel, they received an order to prepare the launch of the missiles. The lights lit up, and the appearance of the launch codes meant the missiles were enabled. Dozens of officers witnessed this. <sighs> what an intense report, right? But it's backed up and corroborated by many high-ranking and credible members of their military. Luckily, nuclear war was avoided, <laughs> but this incident would ultimately push the Soviet authorities into a 10-year-long investigation into UFOs and aliens. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, if you would like to hear more, about this or other similar Russian and Soviet UFO events, tune into the recent weaponized episode. It is called Russia's Secret UFO Files. Um, I have talked about this show before, and, and if you're not listening to it, start listening. It is hosted by Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp. Thanks to George's investigative abilities, and his bravery, which you will understand once you listen to the episode, a lot of UFO incidents actually saw the light of day that might have never been released or divulged in the first place. So it's worth the listen. Go take a listen. Now, these two, these first two events were pretty dramatic, even though they were, and and both the Minot and Ukraine incidents, even though they could have ended in disaster, thankfully they didn't. And these types of UFO nuclear activations are the exception to the rule. It would seem these objects sometimes prefer to turn the nukes off. On March 24th, 1967, First Lieutenant and Missile Launch Officer Robert Solis was stationed 60 feet underground in the Oscar Flight Launch Control Center on Malmstrom Air Force Base. He received a call from one of his security airmen from upstairs. The information the man relayed was that they were seeing strange lights in the sky, making odd maneuvers, like moving rapidly and stopping on a dime, making 90-degree turns suddenly, reversing, all silently. And these weren't airplanes. He was sure of that. Solace disregarded the first call, telling them to call back when they had something a bit more significant, and hung up. He would subsequently receive another call from upstairs, this time with a bit more tension and fear to the message the airman was relaying to his commanding officer. He reported a bright, 
pulsating red oval-shaped object about 30 feet in diameter was sat hovering just above the front gate. As of this second call, all six guards upstairs were watching it, standing at the ready with weapons drawn. At this point, Solace, believing they might be under some kind of attack, went to wake his commander, Fred Mywald. As Solace began to tell him about the calls, he reports the first alarm sounded, resulting in both he and Mywald looking over to the panel of annunciator lights at the commander's station to see a no-go light and two red security lights, indicating that there were problems at one of the missile sites. As Solace's commander leapt up to run over and determine what the problem was, another alarm went off for another site, followed by another and another simultaneously, within minutes of receiving a call about a hovering, glowing object outside their gate, and within seconds of the first alarm sounding, one after another, every second on the second, the nuclear warheads he was responsible for monitoring and protecting at all costs, inexplicably, went offline. When this incident was reported to the command post... Solace and Mywald were informed that a very similar incident had occurred at another of Malmstrom's launch control centers a week before. All 10 missiles in echo flight at Malmstrom lost strat alert within 10 seconds of each other. The fact that no apparent reason for the loss of 10 missiles can be readily identified is cause for grave concern to this headquarters. That is directly quoted from a previously classified teletype message following the initial yet damn near identical incident that would take place on March 16th, 1967 at the Echo Launch Facility, just 20 miles away. And the officers at that location also reported seeing strange objects doing strange things in the sky prior to their nukes getting shut down. It was discovered that the individual missiles guidance and control systems had malfunctioned in succession. What are the odds of that? Salas began to openly discuss the Oscar incident in 1995, and since going public has been invited, along with other servicemen who were witnesses, to address the National Press Club on their experience. He also spoke about it at the International MUFON UFO Symposium in 2007 and Larry King Live in 2008 and has extensively investigated it together with Jim Klotz, locating and interviewing dozens of witnesses and others with knowledge of this case. Additionally, he recently testified to the federal government, namely Arrow, about his account. He and others like him believe the public has a right to know about UFO involvement in the missile shutdowns and has said that he wants the Air Force and the government to come forward and just acknowledge that this phenomenon is real because he is of the opinion that the historical stance the U.S. Air Force has taken that no UFO reported, investigated, or evaluated by them indicated any threat to national security is a falsehood. Other events that involved UFOs and nuclear missiles include Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming in 1965, 
Minot Air Force Base, 1966, Minot Air Force Base, 1968, Minot Air Force Base later in 1968. What is going on over there, Minot? Lake and Heath Bentwaters, anyone? The Rendlesham Forest incident? The Roswell crash could be argued to, to be tied in there. Roswell was home to a pretty important bomber squadron back in 47. Um, and hell, there were reports of metallic sky buggers flitting around uh, when and where the atom bombs were dropped and all throughout World War II. So there does seem to be an alarming correlation or attraction or curiosity. Um, if there is some superior technology out there that we don't have the capability of understanding that is interfering with our nuclear facilities and operations, taking control of them, or, or at least showing us that they can. This is not a national, but an international security issue. Yes? And, and you should know me well enough by now, I do not do fear-mongering. I will always try to find the best-case scenario first before I jump to... You know, oh, demons are out for your soul, or the aliens are invading. <laughs> I, will, I will always do that first. Try that first. And the fact of the matter is, unless I just don't know about a, a, another situation, another case that ended so dire, so much more dire than these, um, whatever or whoever these are, they haven't actually done anything irreparable to the nukes, right? Like, if what military officers and witnesses are describing is true, this is some, we're dealing with some really advanced stuff here. If they wanted to, they could. And they probably likely would have by now, because we are idiots down here. That being said, this is still not simply an aspect of this subject to take as Oh, oh, that's that's interesting. Mm -mm. It's something to take as, oh, that is some serious stuff, man. And now that I've had a chance to take the deeper look at this, I, I do see the seriousness of it. I am paying attention. And it's interesting to me that it's an obvious enough connection that quite a few investigators have devoted their research or a great portion of their research specifically to exploring this angle. Let's take a look at one more incident before we wrap. On September 14, 1964, 1st Lieutenant Robert Jacobs had been dispatched to film an Atlas D missile launch from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. This was simply a test launch, and the missile in question had only a dummy warhead attached that they were hoping to capture on film separating as it reached the edge of space. Why were they trying to put a nuclear missile into orbit? Because it was the 60s, man! <laughs> America! Uh-uh! The following day, after the shoot... Jacob says he was called into a major mansman's office where he was met with three people in gray suits who he assumed were with the CIA. He was then asked to watch the film of the launch and the separation. 
And so he did. He says the clarity of it was amazing. They watched this rocket in all its glory, filling the frame from the camera's vantage point 160 miles away as it hurtled towards space. Everything was going fine. When suddenly, Jacobs claims, another object could be seen entering the frame as it followed the missile, traveling at 8,000 miles per hour, and then fired four beams of light at the warhead and pieced out as the warhead could be seen tumbling out of the sky. Jacobs has also recounted his experience to Arrow as well. Man, what an interesting episode to research. What an interesting angle. Something to it. If there is another angle to the UFO and ET topic that you would specifically like me to explore... I would love to hear from you. Let me know at ParanormGirlPod on all of the socials. Email me at ParanormGirlPod at gmail.com. Some fantastically easy ways to support the show is by rating and reviewing wherever you are tuning in. You can also support my severe research book habit by becoming a patron for as little as three bucks a month. You can view early access videos of these episodes. You can enjoy rad parapsychological reports and scientifically supportive studies and articles that uh, I come across that most people who do not spend their excess free time scouring the darkest corners of the internet <laughs> for uh, even know exists. They, they, and they don't have to because I do. I will do that for you. Um, You can also enjoy some backstage conversations that I have blackmailed my guests into having with me. (laughs) No, they're they're not reading off of cue cards that I'm holding up behind the camera. And and those tears are are ones of joy and happiness to be there. (laughs) I, I don't know why I went with this, but I did. And now here we are. Uh, But for real, there are some really cool things to expect over on the Patreon, uh, some really cool perks, and it's mutually beneficial. It really does help out the show and what I do here. That is going to be it for us today. It feels like it's been forever since I did this, but let's do a final note. Why? I think that's a fair question to ask here. Why might these unidentifiable objects and or their unidentifiable pilots want anything to do with our nukes? There's a theory or two. A big one is that they don't want humanity to destroy itself whether that's because we are some kind of resource to them, much like our cattle or farmlands are to us, or we're some kind of experiment they concocted and they don't want the experiment to end, or they actually really, really, really do like us and they want us to succeed. Whatever the reason, they don't want us gone. Another that I have heard is that it's a security measure 
they take to ensure that our nukes and radiation don't make it out into space or uh, rip holes in the interdimensional fabric, unintentionally destroying other planets and life forms out there in the process. Okay. Uh, here's another one that I will admit I, I considered quietly to myself at the beginning of the season that nuclear sources are sources of energy for them. There are numerous accounts of scientific readings taken following reports of a craft landing or abduction where the readings came back kind of high for radiation <laughs> on the land or the person's body. Um, it would seem the craft itself might contain the radiation and that perhaps maybe because it runs on nuclear energy. You know, it's a, it's a fair theory. It's a fair thought. Um, but is it about energy consumption? Like, where does that leave the thousands upon thousands of reports that have nothing to do with nukes or Air Force bases? What about sightings around open bodies of water, electrical power plants, the White House, farms and ranches, forests? You know, there, there are plenty of other correlations with plenty of other locations that have nothing to do with nuclear power. It's still an obvious connection, but maybe there's more to the story. And yet another theory is that it, it ain't got nothing to do with anything, really. They're just curiously poking around, seeing what we're up to, see, seeing what's going on down here. <laughs> not, not quite as alarming. Um, like I mentioned earlier, if what the witnesses describe is true, we're dealing with something incredibly technologically advanced. If they wanted to hurt and destroy us, they could have by now. That thought can go the other way, too. If they wanted to help and fix the massive problems that we have on this planet that potentially are just as disastrous, if not more disastrous, to the survival of our species or the survival of this planet, they could have. You know, maybe it really is just as simple as a curious bystander effect. They ain't got a horse in the race. They're just there to watch. And a final interesting theory comes from my reading and uh, my absolute enthrallment with John Keel's classic Operation Trojan Horse. We as inhabitants of this rock we call Earth would be deeply disturbed and rightfully on edge should the idea of nuclear war even be whispered because we know what kind of devastation that would bring, the loss of life, the loss of land. Our Earth, our only home, could be destroyed. The governments that have nuclear arsenals in their possession, so long as they do, there will always be this kind of tiptoeing around so as not to unintentionally start an all-out planet-destroying brawl 
we have them, but we're not going to use them. Because as soon as you use yours, the receiving party is going to use theirs, and we'll just all go out together. It's a pretty alarming prospect. Because we don't want our only home that we all have to share destroyed. You see where I'm going with this? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? What if these beings, entities, whatever you want to call them, aren't from anywhere but right here? What if that is why they are so concerned with keeping an eye on the nuclear situation? And this is just a theory. You know, John Keel speaks about it quite a bit more eloquently than I can in these final moments. But if you think about it, it would explain a lot of unexplainables with this phenomenon and, and something worth considering that we might be sharing the earth with something that is not necessarily paranormal, not necessarily physical, but is paraphysical. Something that is both here and there. Something that some people see and some people don't. Something that we can see with our physical eyes, capture on camera, but not all the time. Something that can abide by physics and in the next instant, give a big old middle finger to it. It's weird, I know. <laughs> I do love a good theory though. That is a wrap for today. Uh, my conversation next week is not going to be one you want to miss. I will be speaking with someone you might consider an expert on the topic of abduction and also one of the most well-known cases in our lifetime. Don't miss it. Until then, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open. <laughs>